0: If you read Psalm 126, you'll see a heading on it. And that heading is part of the Psalm. It's really important. It says a song of ascent. So to ascent means to go up, to, to ascend. And so when you see there it's a psalm or a song of ascent, what that means is that if you look at the geography in Israel, Jerusalem is on a hill. It's like a small mountain. And so from any direction. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem. You're always going up. And so what would happen is people of God from all over the the nation would travel, would go on a pilgrimage, if you will, to Israel to Jerusalem, to, to the capital where the temple was. And these pilgrims would go usually as a family, but not just immediate, but like extended, like a whole clan would all travel together. And this was a different era. I mean, there, there were no radios or MP3 players and th- there were no DVD players in your minivan. And so granted, what they would do is they would sing. The families would just sing songs as they were traveling on this pilgrimage to the temple for their various feasts, whether it was the Feast of Booths or the, the Passover or just different festivals, and they would travel and they would go up to Jerusalem and they would sing. So these are different psalms. And so this is one of those songs that they would sing, a song of ascent as they're ascending and traveling up to Jerusalem to worship. And so this psalm was designed to be sung because God has designed us to sing. Sing is the way that we express how we love our God. We just sang how God's love awakens us, awakens us where we sing to him. But remember, this was sung together. It was sung as a community. No one ever sung a song of ascent alone. It was always sung as a community of faith together on this journey. And so life is a journey. We've been on quite a journey the last three months. Amen? Amen? It's been it's been a journey that's been challenging, maybe depressing or or scary or whatever term you would use to describe it. It's been a challenging three months that we've been in, but indeed life is a journey and there are twists at which you you can't quite see around the bend. So I lived in West Texas for several years and I'll never forget where you can drive and literally. For like a hundred miles, it seems like you can just see this straight, completely flat road. But life is not like a West Texas road. It's much more like a mountain passage with twists and turns and dangers and cliffs. And you don't know, but you're just trusting God because you can't see what's around the turn. That's what life is like. It's a journey. We're called to follow Jesus on this journey together. We are citizens of heaven. First and foremost, you're not a citizen of the United States of America. You may be an American, but that is secondary. Your eternal citizenship is in heaven. You're a member of the kingdom of God, and that defines who we are. And so we don't live for the comforts of this world. We don't live for the identity that we can gain from this world. We don't live for the approval that this world would offer us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that let us run with endurance. This race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we're called to run with endurance, to run this race, to follow this path, to go on this pilgrimage, this journey called life. But we don't do it alone. We do it with our arms locked and our hearts knit together as we live out our purpose. There's a reason why we have home groups. A home group is the most basic way that here at Renewal Church that we experience community. And so if you're a guest or a regular attender and you're not in a home group, you are just missing out in the way that we share our lives, the highs and the lows. We weep together and we celebrate together. And so if you're not in a home group, I encourage you to go to our website and, and, and you can find home groups on there and you'll see an online link to sign up and we'll call you and we'll get you in a group. It's so important for us to do this, this journey together, living out this purpose of worshiping God while we are looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We're looking to a better city, an eternal city, as John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress called it, the celestial city, the city of heaven. We're on this journey. And so your life, I want you to think of what your life actually is. Your life is designed to be a song of ascent. That's what you are. Your life ought to be defined by being this song of ascent where you are not one voice. You are one voice within a cosmic choir. You are not just one instrument. And I love our brothers and sisters who can play instruments here on the stage because I don't have that gifting, nor can I sing. And yet my life and yours is designed to be one instrument in a global Orchestra, a global symphony that is making music to honor the Creator and the Redeemer. And so your life is a part of something much bigger than yourself. It's about the glory of God, it's about living your life in community where everything about who you are and what you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you use your gifts, all of it is designed to make music to our God. And we fulfill our purpose together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. We'll just stop right there at verse one for a minute. I love the phrase that says, when the Lord restored the Fortunes. Now, kind of like in English, when you when you think of the phrase restoring your fortunes, that's kind of an open-ended phrase. It can mean different things. And so same thing in Hebrew, that like the phrase God restores our fortunes is kind of has a range of meaning in Hebrew as it does in English. But it's really even in the original, it has a very close connection to bringing back from captivity. So even in some of your bibles you, you'll see a note where it says that that it's bringing back. So this restoring of fortunes is a bringing back from captivity. Some notes you might see it says or it's a re, being restored back to health or to wholeness. And so th- there's a range of meaning, but what you do see here that God is communicating very clearly, it's this these fortunes that he is restoring, it's a blessing and it's a release from captivity. It is a bringing back to a sense of wholeness. And so the key there is restoration. And so restoring our fortunes is about a God who is at work in restoring and then bringing his renewal. That's what you're seeing here with restoring Fortunes. And very likely, we don't know the exact year that this was written, but it's very likely that this was written in the sixth century after the Babylonian exile. So, you might remember that Israel, so the people of Judah, were taken to Babylon, to modern day um, Iraq, and then they returned under the leadership of, of Ezra, and then later with Nehemiah, who rebuilt the wall. And so, that whole era called the Restoration Era of Israel. We'll talk about that later in this series of tapestry and as we get later on in the summer. But the point is that very likely this psalm is describing that era of restoration where God's people were then returned from captivity in, in the exile in Babylon and were returned back to their home and the temple was rebuilt and the walls were restored and the, and the, and the scribe Ezra was teaching from the word and restoring God's people, their hearts back to God. And so this was very likely the era. So it says that he is restoring, he says, to Zion, that he's restoring the fortunes of Zion. So what exactly is Zion? It's a popular word, but what does it actually mean? Well, Zion is just another word for Jerusalem. So when you read Zion, he's talking about the capital of God's people, talking about Jerusalem, where the temple dwells. But there's many verses. We don't have time to look at all of them. But there's a lot of verses in the psalm that describe Zion. And it is a place where God dwells. I'll give you an example in Psalm 50, verse 1 and 2. It says, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. So it says that God speaks and that he calls, so he is in control of the whole earth, including the sun. And it says, but specifically, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. You catch that? Zion is a place where the perfection of God's beauty shines forth. It is the display of his manifested presence, of his glory, living with his people. And he is displaying, it says that he is shining forth his glory by him living with his people. So let's read Psalm 126 verses 1, 2, and 3. So it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter in our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Amen. I look even across this room and I see the evidence of God who is at work in doing great things. I know most of you personally. That's, that's the privilege of being part of a faith family, Where we really know each other, and I know for a fact that God is at work and doing great things in the life of many of you. So, what does it mean here when it says that God is restoring our fortunes? Like, what, how can we get our mind around exactly what it means for God to restore our fortunes? Well, verse one describes. Starting our fortunes as being like a dream, it says. So it's like it's too good to be true. Something that God does that you think, there's just no way. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where there's this girl at work and, and then you ask her out and she actually said yes. And you're like, really? It's like it's just too good to be true. It just can't be possible. Yes, believe it, miracles do happen. Or maybe you went and you did a job interview and you just thought, man, I just bombed it. There's just no way. And then they call you and they hire you. And you're like, oh, it's just, it's too good to be true. Or you got that loan. You thought you wouldn't get it or whatever it is. And you, you, you did something and it's like, oh my goodness. Or like last week when my toilet was broken and Fred Corder came over, helped me to fix it. It was like, oh, I learned how to fix the toilet. Like that is too good to be true for my wife. She's like, I just, I, I was there. There's visual evidence, but if not, there just it just be a dream. It's not possible. Yes, it actually is possible. And so, what you're seeing here is God is is doing something in restoring. And they're saying it's like a dream come true. Like, how is this possible? And so that's the first thing that it's revealing. But then verse 2 says that when his fortunes are restored, it says it brings laughter to our mouth. We laugh with joy. And it says there's shouts of joy, like I was hearing with the singing, shouts of joy. And so what happens when our fortunes are restored? what's happened is is that we are recognizing the glory of God because he does great things. And what is the result? It says in verse 2, the nations then say the Lord has done great things for them. Even the people that are far from God, the people who don't know God, even they are forced to acknowledge there is something about these people that is different. They have joy. They have laughter in their mouth. There is something about that believer that is infectious and that they just go about their job different. They live their life differently and it's with joy and the nations are forced; Those that are far from God acknowledge there is a God and those are his people and God does great things for them. So Psalm 126 is all about restoration. It's really, it's about renewal. That's what it's about. It's about God bringing together his people into his presence. So that is what it's about. That is what it means to have your fortunes restored. It's about God bringing his people together on their journey up to Jerusalem, to the temple where God lives, his dwelling, living with his people is God gathering a people for Himself who experience His joy and live out His purpose together because that is what Zion is about—the presence of God. It's all about restoration. Why did Jesus come? Why did He die on the cross and resurrect on the third day so that we can be reconciled to God, so we can be brought close to God? Everything about God's purpose points to this. It points to God. Redeeming a people that are brought together in his presence who enjoy who he is and display that to the world. That is why we're here. That's why it's been so hard. Why these last three months have just, just, oh my gosh, if I can just put it into words. It has been painful. It has been hard. I have just longed. My, my my soul has just ached to be with God's people. And then seeing you today, I'm like, sorry, are you distancing? They're like, no, okay, great, and then we can hug. But if you, if you are, I respect that. I'm not going to come hug you. Um, but it, it has been such a joy to see that God does this. He brings people together. And then in this togetherness, what we do is we display who he is to a world that is in darkness and desperate for God. So when you first read that God restores our fortunes, if you thought that that means going to make you wealthy or heal every single sickness or pain in your body, if you thought that it was going to be some earthly gain, if you thought that God restoring your fortunes meant that he would give you whatever it is that you want, even if that draws you away from God. So if you thought that having your fortunes Restored meant that you would actually have some other earthly pleasure that is not Jesus. I am so sorry to disappoint you. I'm actually not sorry. So sorry I'm not sorry. Because it's not about our earthly pleasures. It's not about any of the things that we can gain under the sun. It is about Jesus. It is about his presence it is about his joy and it is about then the overflow of that is having other people come and come right next to us and shout for joy as well because they have tasted his forgiveness they have tasted of his comfort his hope his joy and his purpose and so restoring our fortunes is knowing God more deeply it is trusting him more fully. It is a walking with him more genuinely and doing so more freely so that we can run the race with no weight that would hold us back. And then verse three, it says, the Lord has done great things. We are glad. We are filled with joy. Psalm 126, verses 4 through 6. Let's finish the psalm. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So it says... Mentions the Negev, like with streams in the Negev. And so the Negev was a, a land that was south of Israel. It was it was a dry, parched land where there was very little rain and almost nothing could grow. There were no lands that like this in the area, but it was just picture picture like Death Valley with like cracked earth. And picture riverbeds where it's completely dry because there's no water. And so there are the beds, but there's no water flowing through them. And so the river has lost its purpose. It's, it's not there. There's no life because there's no water to sustain it. And the picture here is if, if restoring our fortunes is singing as you are going into the presence of God... So if being restored is being restored back to God's presence, then then the Gev is a picture of what it's like to not be restored, a picture of what it's like to not be in God's presence, which is dry and scorched earth and no living water and no life. So being restored back to God, it's like having him rain down His mercy and His love where you're drenched, you're soaked to the bone (laughs) with Him raining His mercy on you. And then with all of this, this rainfall, it causes streams to then flow. It causes rivers to flow in the dry riverbeds. And so maybe today, You can relate to the Negev. Maybe today you feel dry. Maybe you're here today, but man, the truth is that your soul has been dry or you feel like your purpose has been dried up. Your hope has dried up. And what you need most is to have the Spirit of God to rain on you and to fill you with His own presence with living water and breathe life back into you and to restore you so that you can be like rivers flowing in the Negev. And verses 5 and 6 talks about restoring us and joy in God's presence even when it's hard. That's what you see as this psalm ends. It uses the metaphor of planting in tears. So a farmer going out to the field and is planting the seeds and doing so in tears. It says, goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, the seed for planting. Man, I love how the Bible just keeps it real. The Bible is just honest about real life and how there is very real pain or disappointment and sometimes failure or frustrations. The Bible doesn't mince words. It's just honest about the reality of life. So I want you to picture a farmer who's had so much pain. It doesn't say what the pain is, but you fill in the blank. And and he has to still go out and plant the seeds. So it says, It's planting with tears, and so you can just picture him leaning over in the dirt, and he is planting, and the tears are flowing, and the tears are actually falling onto the ground. And as he's planting the seeds, he is planting the tears right along with the seeds getting mixed together. We are called to press forward even when it's hard. We are called to keep planting those good seeds that God has entrusted to you even when it's mixed with tears. We're called in this psalm to keep singing even when it's hard. To continue pursuing your calling even when it's hard. Continue living on mission even when life is not Perfect or desirable or how you would want it to be. We keep working in the kingdom, serving the church, discipling others, using our gifts. We continue to tithe. We continue to display God's glory with everything about us from our financial resources, our emotional, our time, everything, our talents. We use all of it. It belongs to God. And so we offer back as an offering. Saying, God, it's all yours. I trust you with it. Even when it's hard or uncertain or there is great unknowns, we continue to still go out into the field that God's called us to and keep planting, even when it's mixing with your tears. Your life is a song of ascent to God. And I teach my kids, they're teenagers, Josh and Abby, middle school and high school, and I tell them, listen guys, The reality is, learn this now when you're teenagers. Because when you're like me, I just turned 41 this week, I can give you lots of examples of this. Your life won't be perfect. I guarantee you. You're going to be disappointed. There's always going to be some kind of a pain or a frustration. And if you're going to wait until you have your life settled, when you're an adult and have your finances fully in order and you're going to wait until you're married and have 2.2 kids and a dog and a white picket fence and a big 401k, and if you're going to wait until life is optimal or perfect to then serve God, to then be part of what he's doing in the kingdom, if you're going to wait till life is perfect, you will never serve in the kingdom because you'll never get there. It's a fallen world. It's not heaven. We're not there yet. And so there's going to be struggle. But the beauty is not that you won't have struggle because we do have struggle. The beauty is that Jesus told us, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. He was honest. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Take heart. Be of good courage. You go out there and you plant your seed. You go fulfill your calling. You go live on mission, even when it's mixing with tears. And you know what happens? You know know what happens, right, when we do that? Because the psalm tells us. It tells us what happens. Yes, it does say sowing in tears. It does say that. But you know what also says what happens in verse 5? Those who sow in tears shall reap, shall harvest with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. There is joy in the presence of God. And it says you bring home sheaves. A sheave was just a large bundle of, say, wheat that was bundled and tied together. And so it's talking about a harvest. A harvest is what you will you will reap. And so what is this fruit that you will reap? Well, it's the fruit that God's Spirit produces in you, which is what? You know it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is just examples what Spirit produces. And so if you want to have love and peace and patience and kindness, then... It's growing. It's hard. If you don't work out, your muscles don't get resistance, you won't grow. If you're going to get stronger, there has to be resistance. If you want to have the harvest, you have to go out there and plant the seed. It's just the way God has made the world. And so what we're seeing in this text is powerful. It says you meditate on God, you enjoy him, you keep following him, even when it's hard. You focus on who he is, what he's done in the gospel. God has accomplished your salvation and you draw near to him and he will produce a mighty harvest in your life even when it's not perfect. We read earlier, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We run this race even when it's hard looking to Jesus.